Go ahead. The name of the teaching today is Mark to Live a Life of Significance, and this will be part two. About three weeks ago, I brought the first part of this teaching to you, and uh, we talked about Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18, how these were Jesus' last, last words. He had already given some last words to the, to the disciples, and it's what we call the farewell discourse. It's from John, if you look in the book of John, it's from John 13 to John 17, and all those chapters, all those chapters, all in red. And so, but that was all given in one night. And so he sat with them before he was crucified, and he gave them these last words. And then he was crucified, and then he rose again. And about 40 days later, he meets up with his disciples again, and he gives them the last, last words. Because this is the departing moment when he's going into heaven. How many of you know, if you knew the exact date, the exact time, the exact minute that you were going to go into heaven... Do you think you'd have something significant to say to your loved ones before you left? I think you would gather them all together and you'd say, look, I don't have a lot of time here, okay? At this moment, I'm taken out of here, so you guys need to silence it and listen to what I've got to say because I'm going to impart to you some, all the wisdom that I have and the direction that you need to move in. That wouldn't be the time for you to tell jokes and say, hey, have you heard the one about the... You wouldn't do that at that time. This is a serious moment. It's a very serious moment with the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So I'm going to give a little bit of a review of what we, just to kind of bring you up to speed, and then we'll jump into the second part of this. Mark 16, 15 through 18, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe, praise God. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Did you see that? Jesus, the head of the church, said that these signs will follow those who believe. And one of the signs, one of the marking signs that he said that the believers would speak with new tongues. We're going to be talking about that today. Then he said in verse 18, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. Who will lay hands on the sick? The believers. Those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. It didn't say they'd get the pastor. It didn't say they would go grab the hold of the elders. It said they, the believers, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Praise God. We talked about this block of scripture having so much kingdom significance. It speaks of authority, speaks of divine edification, Dominion and protection, covenant privileges and ministrations or services. And then we skip down to verse 20. It, in other words, and it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. In other words, they believed what the Lord said. And they went out, preached everywhere. But look at this. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. In other words, they didn't go out in their own strength. They went out according to the word that was given to them, and they went out, but the Lord was working with them, and it was his strength 
that was confirming the word that they were speaking, and the Lord was bringing about accompanying signs. A lot of times we're waiting for the signs, wonders, and miracles to show up, and the Lord's saying, you haven't gone out yet. You're wanting that to show up first, and then you're going to go out. But the Lord said, that's not the way it works. Notice what he said, the very first thing, go into all the world. As you go, then the power manifests. Let's take a look at that word signs, and these signs will follow those who believe. That word signs literally means this. It means a sign, but it also means to mark. It means miracles with a supernatural end and purpose. It means wonders. But it also means this. We all, with all of what we just said, we could say this. It means fingerprints of God. That you're marked with the fingerprints of God. Have you ever been at a really nice restaurant? I mean, like where they have crystal glassware and or anything like that. Or maybe your mom had some special glassware of her own that she brought out on special occasions like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. I remember when I was a kid and maybe we'd be out doing something, playing really hard, getting all sweaty, and she'd call us in for dinner and we'd go in the house. And then I remember grabbing hold of that glass because you only got that glass on those special occasions. And I put my hand on the glass, and then I took it off. I noticed I left some fingerprints on it. And the more you touched it, it became cloudy with fingerprints. Did you know that the Lord wants your life to be cloudy with his fingerprints all over you? And these signs, these manifestations will follow and mark the believers. You're marked. Look around this room right now, we're in the sanctuary. Just everybody just look around. Looking back up there, look at all the people around you. Did you know that you are sitting with marked people? All these people are marked. You're a marked man, you're a marked woman. Praise God. Jesus didn't come to make you a success. He came to bring us into significance. Did you know there's a difference? Success is when we add value to ourselves. And you know, there's a lot of that in the world. And I'm going to say this. There's a lot of this in the church, in the global church. There's people seeking to add significance to themselves. Success to themselves. But listen to this. Significance is when we add value to others. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It's about maturing in the Lord, learning the concepts, principles, and dictates of the Word of God, and then taking those out into the world, into the workplace, into the marketplace, into the grocery store, wherever you encounter people that don't know the Lord, and impacting their life in some way. Sometimes it's just listening to what they have to say. Sometimes it's a word that you'll have to say to them. Sometimes it is laying hands on the sick. The Lord wants the Holy Spirit in us and upon us. Did you know that? Did you know that when you get saved, where's the Holy Spirit? He's on the inside, right? You ever see that little sticker when you buy a computer and it says Intel on the inside? It's almost like we've got this mark on us that says Holy Ghost on the inside. 
So when you're saved, you have the Spirit of God on the inside. But did you know that he doesn't want the Holy Spirit only on the inside of you? He wants the Holy Spirit upon you. And we're going to take a great look at that today. We're looking at Jesus' last, last words just before departing the earth. And we know the time frame of this because in the book of Acts, it tells us it was 40 days. 40 days since the resurrection. And so... Let's take a look at Acts 1, 4 through 8. And here we are, 40 days since the resurrection. And being assembled together with them, if you read it, it's talking about Jesus being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I want you to see what he said. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. You know, a lot of times we have this image of Jesus that Jesus is always gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Did you know Jesus was a man's man too? Remember when he broke out the whip and cleansed the temple? He knew when to take care of business. And here he is with these disciples he didn't just bring a suggestion to them. Hey, guys, it'd be really great if you hung around Jerusalem for a while because something significant's going to take place in 10 days, and it's what I was telling you the night before I was crucified uh, during the farewell discourse when I went over all that stuff and I told you that it's important for me to go away, that if I do not go away, that the Holy Spirit won't come. Remember, I was talking to you about that, and uh, that's going to happen in 10 days, so you guys need to hang around here because something significant, the promise of the Father is going to happen. He didn't say that. Can I just break it down to you what I believe, how I believe he did say it? I believe he looked him in the eye, and I believe he pointed his finger out at him, and I believe he said this, don't you dare leave. Don't you dare leave Jerusalem. You guys need to stay here. This is exactly what I was talking about the night before I was crucified. This is that moment when the Holy Spirit's going to come with power, and you guys need to wait here. Yes, you could go out and you could start preaching because you've been with me for three years. Yes, you know my stories. Yes, you know my compassion. But you need what the Holy Spirit is going to be bringing here to meld into your life. You need this so that you can make a quality difference in this world. Don't you, Peter, don't you dare leave. John, don't you dare leave. You wait, you remain here, you need this. I believe that's the way he said it. And when you get to heaven, I want you to question Jesus, and I think you're going to find out I was right. <laughs> Praise God. I believe it was very much that way. Listen, Jesus had said something the night before he died that really caught the disciples' attention. It's not in your notes, but if you want to write it down, it's John 14, 15, and it's where Jesus came into the room after his resurrection, and then he said this to the disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And now, 40, 41 days later, he says, to, he commands them, don't you dare leave. Do you not think 
that they remembered what he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that, that resonated within them. And all of a sudden they said, ooh, this is what he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. And he just gave us a command not to leave, but to remain here in Jerusalem. Now, the disciples, some may say, well, this is just the moment when the disciples got born again. No, it's not. Because they were already born again at this moment. They had already received the Holy Spirit. If you look at John 20, 19 through 22, you will see uh, that's exactly where, where, G- where Jesus came into the room after the resurrection. And he said to them, he breathed on them, and then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was at that moment after his resurrection that they became born again. They received the Holy Spirit on the inside. So they were already born again. Now he's saying there's something that's going to take place not many days from now with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that the Father was talking about. And you will receive this. It's a separate event that will take place and you need to have this. Well, they're listening to Jesus talk about this, where he says that, uh, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they get off track, as people sometimes do. And then Jesus has to bring them back to what he's talking about. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I wonder what Jesus was thinking. Hey, guys, I'm talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You're going to need this. And all of a sudden, they get to talk it, and they go off track. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Then look at verse 8. He brings it back on topic. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9 tells us that he ascended into heaven. So we know that Jesus is trying to get some ver- something very important in his last words to his disciples. And it was regarding the power of the Holy Spirit that they would need to be a significant moving force within the world to truly bring forth the gospel the way that he desires it to go forth. Well, he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power is the word dunamis. And it's an interesting word because it's where we get the word dynamite from. And so how many of you know that dynamite has capable power? Well, that's the way dunamis is too. It is miraculous, capable power. Explosive strength and ability. Dunamis. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice Jesus didn't say when the Holy Spirit comes in you. He said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is this power all about? Well, it's power to be a witness. Power to overcome. Power to live out the word of God. Power to be a Christian. Power to love the unlovely. Power to heal the sick. Power to lay hands on people and set them free from the addictions that they're walking in. It's power in this world to make a difference in every area that you come in contact with. Why? Because you're marked. 
You've got the fingerprints of God all over you. And you're marked for a mission to go out and make a difference in this world. Well, what did the, what did the disciples do? Well, they listened to that command and they stayed and they obeyed. Let's pick it up in Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That word Pentecost is a Greek word that actually means 50. And so it, it literally is talking about 50 days after the Passover is the day of Pentecost. And so we know that when Jesus was crucified was the Passover. And so we know that 50 days later was the day of Pentecost. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 10 days after when Jesus had left and, and went on into heaven, when he said not many days from now, 10 days later, day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, when it says they were all with one accord and in one place, who's it talking about? Well, if you were to read in Acts 1, 14 and 15, it tells us that he's talking about 120 disciples. They were all there in one accord and one place. You ever try to get 120 people all in one accord? All agreeing on, what? hey, just, just say this, what shall we eat tonight? And you'll probably end up with 120 different ideas. But they were all in one accord in one place. I thought that was pretty good. But you know what it also says? And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. They were all there in that upper room in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all, and they were all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who spoke in tongues? All of them. Did the Lord say it was only for some and not for others? No, all of them spoke with tongues, all 120 and Mary. You know, you, if you have any uh, Catholic friends you minister to? Can I just give you a, a hint how to minister to them? Just ask them, say, would you like to learn how to pray like Mary prayed? And then you take them to this scripture and show them that Mary was baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I'm telling you, it's easy to get Catholics baptized in the Holy Spirit. They will go for this. I'm telling you, they want to be like Mary. So that's just an extra thing. Clearly, the will of God is for all to receive of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We see here that when it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the terminology of being filled with the Spirit. You'll hear some people say, are you filled with the Spirit? Well, what they're talking about is, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? Or you might say, yeah, that's a Spirit-filled church. Well, what they're talking about is they are embracing the fullness of the gospel with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, what happens when you fill a glass up too much? It runs over, right? We could say that's called overflow. It overflows and the outside of the glass gets all wet. Well, that's exactly what happens to us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, overflow. Overflow, outflow of the power of God, power to live this life and empowered 
to contact and impact others for eternity. You become marked with the fingerprints of God on the outside in such a profound way. I want to tell you, there, I know there's people in here today that you're saying, well, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I still saved? Absolutely you are. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves you by receiving him as your Lord and Savior. That's how we get saved. And the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside. So you do have the Holy Spirit residing with you. But there is something else that you can receive that will take your life to a whole new level. And I understand there's been excesses in this. There's been some weirdness in charismatic churches over the year, and I want to apologize to you for that, for my brothers and sisters not being sensitive because people have gotten into the flesh. But I want to tell you the genuine work of the Holy Spirit is not to make you weird. It's to bring you into wholeness. The Holy Spirit is such a gentleman. The Holy Spirit has so much love for you. He would never hurt you. He would never embarrass you. He's a gentleman and he puts you first above all things. He wants to impact your life. He wants to commune with you. He wants to bring you into a deep, rich, full relationship with the Lord. Years ago, if you do, I, I was in a meeting with a man, and he had done some research going way back, and he found some old English writings, and the holy, where it said Holy Ghost, it actually, before that time period, was written as the Holy Guest. And I thought about that. <sighs> he is the Holy Guest. He's the gift that's been given to us. And his love is so far beyond anything that you can think of. When you fail, and we all do, I want you to know that he is so for you when you fail. His concern is to pick you up and dust you off. And his first words to you are, is not, boy, you sure blew it, didn't you? You know what his first words to you, if you could hear his voice, what they would be? Are you all right? Are you okay? He's concerned. Our failings do not diminish the destiny that he has for each one of us. He is a greater savior than you are a sinner. And he will always bring you, continue to bring you into the wholeness and the fullness that he has for each one of us. Don't ever forget that. Jesus doesn't want us to only have a story. He wants us to have living proof of his existence in our life. Revealing to the power, to the people around you, the power and the love of God. His anointing. He wants people healed. He wants families restored. He wants addiction set free. He wants, he wants people to come into the destiny that he has preordained for each one of them. He wants mindsets to be changed into his thinking, into the word's thinking. Yes, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's not in your notes, but in 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, if you remember the last time I spoke, 
Paul said that clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the, hope, by the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. He said you are an epistle of Christ. Let me break it down for you. You are the gospel. You are the good news. You are the message to a dying world. You're one of the world, but you've been redeemed, you've been saved. And it's you that can go out with the Holy Spirit's impact in your life to touch the others who are dead and separated from Christ. And he's using you. You are the living epistle. You are the letter that is known and read by all men. I want to tell you, people are looking at you. What are they seeing? They need to see the power of the Lord at work in your life. His love resonating through you. I want to give you a couple examples of the importance that the Bible talks about, the importance of salvation and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Only in our modern days have we separated this out. We get people born again and we don't lead them into the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that in the first century church that was unheard of? Unheard of. It was the whole package because it was a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they took that command seriously. And when somebody was born again, they laid hands on him and then they were filled with the Spirit. And I want to prove that to you today. Acts 8, 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. This was after the stoning of Stephen. Remember, persecution broke out against the church. Paul, who was called Saul at that time, was persecuting the church greatly and was taking people who were born again, who was known as the way, and he was bringing them into prison, breaking up families. So then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached, preached to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Wow, what a meeting! Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Can you imagine? Here's Philip going out preaching, and not like five or ten people go, Hey, I think that's good. I want to be born again. Multitudes. There's thousands of people, and they all come rushing. Yes, we want to be saved. Who was Philip? Let me tell you, he was just a regular guy. He didn't attend Bible college, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the chosen frozen that had walked with Jesus for three years. He was just a guy that got saved and filled with the Spirit. Just a regular guy. But there was, this, there was something that happened in Acts chapter 6. In the feeding of the widows. And the Hebrew widows and the Greek Jew widows were in two different classifications, obviously. And the Hebraic Jews were giving favor to their widows, giving them more food. And so the Hellenists of the Greek Jews rose up and said, hey, there's this unfair thing that's going, they're getting more food than our widows are getting, our widows are starving, and you're giving a daily distribution, shouldn't it be fair? So they brought this to the apostles. The apostles said, hey, we've got other things to do. We, it's not good for us to separate from the word of God to solve these, uh, these menial problems here. So they said, select seven men who are full of the Spirit and of the wisdom of God, and let them become overseers over this task. 
Guess what? Philip was one of those. He was a man of good standing, full of the Spirit, and he had the wisdom of God. Just a regular guy. But this regular guy got so full of the Spirit that he said, hey, didn't Jesus say go into all the world and preach the gospel? And he said that they would speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. He said that we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. I'm going. That's me. And so he took off, went to Samaria. And lo and behold, multitudes respond to his message. But listen to what, hap- what is happening here. Verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Hey, didn't Mark 16 say that you would cast out demons? Sure did. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Wow, the manifestations of Mark chapter 16, of going to all the other world, the great commission was taking place because this one man who was a regular guy stepped out in faith, believed what the Lord Jesus Christ said, and did it. I don't think he was there when Jesus said, when Jesus gave the command. But he heard it from the apostles. And he believed their word that it was true, and he stepped out in it, and multitudes respond. It was tremendous. His preaching had impact. Or should we say this? His preaching had significance. Philip was a common man, but he was marked, and he knew he was marked. He knew he had a supernatural anointing upon his life. He knew that God's fingerprints were all over him. And these signs will follow those who believe. Well, right after this took place, news of this traveled to Jerusalem. Let's look at Acts 8, 14 through 16. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God through Philip's teaching, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for the people, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, didn't the people already have the Holy Spirit? Because they got born again through Philip's teaching. Is that correct? That's what the Word says. So obviously they already had the Holy Spirit. Then why did Peter and John go down there to make sure that they might receive the Holy Spirit because it was the other, a second event of the baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about when he said, don't you dare leave. And Peter and John were there and it marked their understanding. And so they traveled to Samaria. Let me tell you how far it is. It's 40 miles. Now today, we can travel 40 miles like that, especially if you ride with me. Trust me, <laughs> you'll get there quick, okay? Now, if you ride with Keiko, it's going to take probably, I can do 40 miles, probably about 30 minutes. And uh, Keiko will take a little over an hour. And so you just have to decide how quickly you want to get there, and then you'll decide who you ride with. That's it. But in this day, 40 miles, you were either going to walk or you had an animal that you rode on. You're looking at possibly a day and a half journey to go 40 miles. So this was no small undertaking for them to travel 40 miles to Samaria. It must have been very important to them. And it was because of those words that Jesus said, don't you dare leave. 
It was a command. And they had to go down there to make sure that Philip didn't just get him saved, that they also, these people, got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was that important. With Jesus, it wasn't an option. With Peter and John, it wasn't an option. My question is, why is it an option in the church today? Why is it an option in the different denominations around the world today? Where some denominations will say it's of the devil. Some denominations will say it's not for today. Some denominations will say, well, it was for the first century church only because Jesus was just getting the church moving and it needed this supernatural push. But then after it got started, it's not necessary any longer. Well, I'm sorry, I don't see that in Mark chapter 16. Because he said the believers... And that's just not the believers then. That's the believers for all eternity, for all of time that will be on this earth. He said the believers would speak with new tongues. Verse 16. Or verse 15. When they come down to pray for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. For as yet he had fallen upon, upon, not in, but upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, just tr- that statement right there, doesn't that kind of strike you as a little funny statement? They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saved. They got saved. But they were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stating that there's another element that needs to be connected with that. That is that Jesus had pre-planned from before the foundations of the world and that is the fullness of the Spirit. I want to give you the second example, and the second example is the Apostle Paul. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was not with the apostles and walking with Jesus? Because we know that after Jesus was crucified, there was a great uh, struggle against the church, and Saul was a part of that. He hated the church. He hated the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul gets converted has a personal encounter with Jesus himself and becomes converted. And now listen to Paul. He wasn't there when Jesus gave the command. But listen to, what, listen to Paul, how much this impacted Paul's life. Acts 19, 1 through 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, praise God, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Wow, that's his first statement to him. It wasn't like, hey guys, how you doing? Wow, isn't it great to be a Christian? He didn't say any of that. He, he, he believes they're believers. He thinks he's talking to Christians. And his first statement to them is, okay guys, I know you're saved, but did you receive the fullness of the Spirit? He wanted to make sure they had what Jesus was talking about when he said, don't you dare leave, you need this. Paul wasn't even there. How did he know this? How did it impact his life so much? I mean, after all, didn't he's talking to who he thinks are disciples. Didn't he know that the Holy Spirit comes to us at salvation, that he's in us upon salvation? Of course he did. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Read the book of Romans. It's all over there. He is talking about the fullness of the Spirit that Jesus was talking about. 
He is talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So they said to him, I love this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe Paul did when he heard that response. I believe Paul went like this. <laughs> like, what? He thinks he's talking to born-again people. And then they say, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He's dumbfounded. So then he says to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Minute they said that, I, Paul went like this. Ah, now I got it. You guys aren't saved. Then they said, then Paul said, John and T indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in water. Now, you kind of have to read between the lines here. In other words, what it's saying is when they heard his response, they believed. And they received Jesus Christ as Lord right then. Because I'm going to tell you something, baptism does not save you. Just because you are baptized, you are not going to heaven. You are going to heaven because you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He gets saved right there on the cross. Did he get baptized? Didn't get baptized. John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who, came out, who will come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came in them? No, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. How many people got saved? 12. How many people got filled with the Spirit? 12. Did the Lord leave any of them out? No, they all. It's the gift is for all. When we become born again, the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. When we become baptized with the Holy Spirit, he comes upon us with power. Well, what did John the Baptist have to say about this? Luke 3, 15 through 16. Now, when the people were in expectation, now when it says the people, if you go back a couple verses, you'll find out that it says multitudes. So we know that there was a great number of people there. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John the Baptist, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who was John speaking to? Multitudes. And he was saying that this was for every one of them, not just for a select few. When you're looking at the benefits of the baptism of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, they are many. One would be power, wisdom, perfect intercession. I'll tell you, this is one that I operate a lot in. 
uh, you know, I'll be, so, I'll be having some time with the Lord, and one of your faces will pop into my mind. I may not even know your name, but I'll see your face, and I know it's the Holy Spirit bringing you to my attention. So I may know a little bit about you, and I may just say, oh, Lord, bless them, I, you know, I, and I'll just pray some generic prayer. And then it doesn't take long, and I've run out of gas. I've run out of information. So what I do then is I shift into the Spirit, and I begin to pray in the Spirit. And I'll pray in the Spirit for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden, boom, information will come across my brain. And maybe the Lord will say to me, they're dealing with fear right now. I want you to take care of the spirit of fear. Boom. I come out of that, go back into English, and I begin to come against the enemy, come against fear, and I speak peace over your life. And all of a sudden, again, I run out of information. I shift back into praying in tongues again. And all of a sudden, after a few more minutes, more information comes. And all of a sudden, I can pray. So I could pray for you for 20, 30 minutes doing that, or until the Lord gives me a release. And so perfect intercession tandem praying with the Holy Spirit, uh, that is one of the most, that's one of the most viable benefits that I walk in with, it, with that. When I need wisdom, there were times where I don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? You're faced at a crossroads in life, and you don't know which direction to go. What am I supposed to do? And sometimes people will actually press you. Yeah, I need an answer like in an hour. I had a man do this. I was fishing one day. Good friend of mine calls me up and he's got this life decision whether to retire or not. He's a prison guard with the youth authority. And he calls me up and he says, I need to know right now. You're a man of God, I need you to, I need, and I says, Mike, I don't do that. I said, you need to hear from God yourself. And he just goes, oh, you're gonna cop out on me, you're gonna do this to me? And I said, dude, just, you need, you've got the Lord, you're a minister, go. And he says, I need some help in this. I said, I'm fishing right now. And so he just goes, oh, fine, so I can't count on you. And I just go, oh, man. I said, I'll call you right back. And so while I'm fishing, the Lord goes, what's the problem? He says, I know what he needs. Okay, I'm fishing. And he goes, shift into the spirit right now. So I sat down, and I, I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, it didn't take me long, and all of a sudden, I got the mind of the Lord. And the Lord told me the decision he's to, that this man is supposed to walk in. Now, I don't do that for people because I don't believe in that kind of thing very often unless the Lord directs me in it. And so I called him back and I said, this is the direction you're supposed to go in. He said, yeah, I just got the same thing from the Lord. Boom, confirmation. And so, but here I was, just, I'm on a vacation. I'm not thinking of spiritual things. My spiritual thing is I'm looking for a three-pound trout. That's how spiritual I am at that moment. But you can see that all of a sudden when you need something, you can tap into the spirit and all of a sudden he will bring the information, the understanding to you. I've had this happen to me over and over and over. Another benefit is to be as edification. That word edification comes from a word of edifice or of superstructure, building up a superstructure. And so the Lord will build you up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit as it talks about in the book of Jude. And if you read on, it says, says also that it will keep you in the love of God. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I really got off on that one. Okay, here's what I want to dive into. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Let me read that to you. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of all that, he says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand and keep on standing. Well, I want to take a look at that opening verse. Number one, here in Ephesians 6, Paul is talking, he moves into spiritual warfare, and he moves into the operations of the, uh, how the devil, and he breaks down the devil's kingdom and shows you how they operate and shows you that you have weaponry that has been given to you for defensive purposes, and even you, you even have an offensive weapon that God has given to you so that you can walk in victory. Praise God. But before he gets into that, he makes one statement. And many of us has read over this statement and missed the depth of what's in this one statement. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're going to dissect that one statement, and you're going to be amazed at what's in there. Number one, when it says, finally, my brethren, back in Greek literature, when when you said, finally... See, when you read this in Ephesians, after, it, after all, it is the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, and he says, finally, the people who read the letter were probably thinking, okay, he's getting ready to close. Don't you wish that preachers would do that? That right when they're getting ready, they'd say, finally, my brother, and you go, okay, we got five more minutes. Okay, he's closing right now. I never do that. So maybe I'll start, I don't know. But that wasn't what Paul was saying, because some of his letters have finally my brethren two or three chapters within. And he's still got 10 more chapters to go. What happened? Oh, he meant to close, but he just got carried away. No, that word finally means this in Greek literature. It means if you miss everything that I said up to this point, don't you dare miss what I'm about to say. You need this. Got it? That's what he's saying here. Now you think, wow, everything he said up to that point in the book of Ephesians, have you read the book of Ephesians? Wow, it's power packed. But he's saying, you need this in your personal life. Yes, there's a lot of great doctrine there. But if you're going to stand tall and you're going to walk in victory, then you need this. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Let's take a look at that one word, be strong. It's one word in the Greek language. And it's this word, indunamo. It's made out of two words. It's a compound word. Two Greek words into one. The word en means into. Okay, into. And the second word is dunamis. Wow, and you shall receive dunamis. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's that dynamic power of the Lord, that capable power, that miraculous power of God. And so what is this talking about? This is talking about an empowering, inner strengthening. It conveys the idea of being infused with an excessive dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. The nature of this power being deposited into something, 
a receiver. Hello, receivers. You all are a receiver, okay? The idea here is to receive a supernatural strengthening an internal deposit of power into your inner man. That's what this one word means. Now, the Greek language, I love it. I'm not a Greek scholar, don't think that I am, but I love dabbling in it. I love it because it's such a descriptive language. You cannot miss what the person is saying because each word has something called voice tense and mood connected to it. So if you get into the voice, tense, and mood aspect of it, you can take each word in the Greek and you can see exactly what it meant. You cannot misunderstand what the person was writing. You can't take it wrong because it has voice, tense, mood connected to it, and it's just one way. It's so, it's so clear. This is why the Lord chose Greek for the New Testament. So the tense of the Greek of this one word means that Paul was not suggesting this to them, but instead was commanding the church. He was commanding them to receive this power and to receive it right away. Now, you need this now, has urgency built into it. He was urging them with the strongest of words. The Greek tense also suggests and ongoing, continuing in this process. In other words, it's present tense. Here's what this means. Be strong now. Be strong now. Be strong now. Be strong now. Be this way now. Be this way now. Be this way tomorrow. Be this way the next day. Be this way the next day. Present tense is now, 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 now. Every second is now. Now, now, now. Be strong now. Be strong now. Be strong. It's living, I always say, and when I teach this in OSL level two, I say, this is uh, living in the land of be. He wants you to live in the, prox- in the present tense. He wants you to live this way. And there's actually, if you get into OSL level two, where I go 14 hours on this. When you, get at, when you graduate level two for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, you will have no doubt. You will have no, and you will know how to lead others into the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You will be convinced, and all the devil's arguments against it will just fall off of you like water off a duck's back. There's a word that says, actually, to be in, in Ephesians, it says to be filled with the Spirit. Do not, be, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word, be filled, is in the present tense. And what it literally means is this be being filled continually. Continually be filled. You're not filled once. Be filled all the time. Be filled now. Be filled now. Be filled now. Be filled now. How do you do that? Through taking time to exercise the spiritual gift and pray in the spirit. To take time and worship the Lord and and worship him not only in English, but then all of a sudden to let your spiritual voice to come out. And you begin to sing in the spirit. You begin to worship him in the spirit. Oh, what a gift, I'm telling you. Paul knew that there was an ongoing experience with God's power that was available to every believer, and he knew this was desperately needed and extremely important to combat the attacks of the enemy and live in victory. Finally, my brethren, pay attention. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's look at that word power. It's the word kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. I love this word. 
This is a tremendous word. You see, there's four Greek power words, four big Greek power words, and three of them are in this one sentence. It's tremendous. And so this word power means demonstrated power, demonstrative power. You could say erupting power. It's power that is realized, tangible, manifested. It's power that can be seen and felt. It's power that is so tremendous that it's used of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, did you know there was an earthquake? There was some shaking going on. Sounds like an old 50s song. It was used in Ephesians 1.19, describing the raising of Jesus from the dead. God used this kratos power. And in the New King James, or I'm sure it's in your Bible the same way, it says, according to the working of his mighty power. However, in the Greek, the wording is a little bit different. It says, according to the working of the power of his might. Hey, that sounds exactly like the statement Paul's writing in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power, kratos, of his might. This very same resurrection power, working behind the scenes to energize for us and combat against demonic forces, this is the strongest stream of power ever. It is a power so supreme that in Scripture, it is only used of God's power never of anyone else. Man does not possess this kind of power unless it's been given to him. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What an empowerment has been bestowed upon us. Kratos is a demonstrated outward manifestation of power, one that will evidence your life as filled with the Holy Spirit or that you are marked with the fingerprints of God. When this power begins to operate, it immediately seeks an avenue of release so that it might make itself known. This power does not come to be idle. It comes to accomplish a superhuman task. And let me tell you, to go lay hands on the sick and see them recover, that is a superhuman task that cannot stand, that disease, that sickness, cannot stand in the presence of the power of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word might is the word excuse. Let me tell you something. You have no excuse not to walk in excuse. That's kind of corny, but I, I function in the land of corny from time to time. And I did that on purpose so that I hope that you'll remember it that way. You have no, every time you try to make an excuse, I hope you supplant it with excuse, with his might. This word means forcefulness, strength, and might. It portrays a picture of a very strong man as in a bodybuilder with exceptional muscular capabilities. Paul applied this to God in which there is no one more capable and strong nor muscular or mighty. 
Can I just wrap this all together for you right now in Pastor Dan's paraphrase? Let me give you my paraphrase of Ephesians 6.10 in light of everything we've just said. I would write it like this. I command you to be strong daily with God's dynamic functioning power residing actively on the inside and in the powerful, outwardly manifesting ability that works in you as a result of God's great muscular ability. That's powerful. It is my studied opinion that what Paul is saying before he goes in, remember, he said this before he talked about the whole armor of God. I believe what he is saying here is make sure that you are filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Don't get filled once. And when you take my class in OSL, we see this over and over. I actually take you through the book of Acts and show you where Peter and the disciples get filled with the Spirit over and over and over and over. And they were filled, and they were filled, and they were filled, and they were filled. I show it, we, we dissect it, we go through the whole thing and show you that this isn't a one-time experience. It's a daily experience. When I first came into the church, I remember seeing people, and they'd say, uh, people used to say, hey, are you Pentecost? Yeah, I'm Pentecost. It's almost like they had a badge on them, you know? Yeah, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. And I wanted to go up to them and say, but do you do it? Well, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I fell on the floor, and I, I spoke in tongues for two hours. Okay, that's great. What are you doing with it today? I'm glad that happened to you 40 years ago. Praise God. But are you doing something with it on a daily basis? I spend time every day. I spend at least an hour praying in the Holy Ghost. And oftentimes, it's, it's more than that. If I couple it with my worship times, I have time where I, I worship for a half hour in the morning, half hour at noon, half hour at night, and a lot of my worship is in tongues. And I always pray in the Spirit an hour a day. Why am I doing that? I want to stay filled. I want that dunamis. I want that iscuse. I want that kratos power. I don't want it just for myself. I need it because I'm contacting people who, who don't have this in their life. And even the church that I come in contact with, I need a word for you. I need something for you because if you're coming at me with a problem, I need to have something to give you, something to impart to you so that I can partner with you and help you come out of that situation that you're in. That's what we've been called to. I'm convinced that Ephesians 6.10 is talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the wording in verse 18 where it says praying in the Spirit confirms it to me. Let me give it to you. Ephesians 6, 17, and 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, let me, let me just stop right there. When you see that, oh, Pastor Dan, you're stretching it right there because it said in the Spirit. That could mean a lot of things. Oh, I've read all the commentators. I know what they say. And people will say that. Oh, that could mean this. That could mean that. Let me, t let me tell you, when you do Bible study, 
the Bible interprets the Bible. That's one of the number one rules of, of, of doing Bible study. The Bible will interpret the Bible. You, you with me so far? Let's see if this, what this means, okay? Because I believe that's talking about praying in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Let's, let's find out if it's true. 1 Corinthians 14.2. Paul, same author. He authored the book of Ephesians. He also authored, also authored uh, 1 Corinthians 14.2. He said, for he who speaks in a tongue, oh, we know what it's talking about now. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Is there any doubt as to what Paul is saying here when he said in the spirit? He's talking about someone that is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, when Paul wrote these letters, he's writing to churches who are all spirit-filled. Because when they got somebody born again, they also laid hands on them, and they got them speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. So all of Paul's churches that the letters in the, in the New Testament are written to are all to people who are spirit-filled. They understand when Paul said, in the spirit, they got it. They didn't, need you, they didn't need him to explain it. They knew what he meant. Well, when it says, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, let's look at that word mysteries. It's the word divine secrets. When you spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, your, your mind, your brain doesn't understand what you're saying. True, doesn't understand. But what you are doing is you are connected to Almighty God and you are downloading divine secrets into your spirit. Volumes of information are being downloaded into you that you may need two days from now, a week from now, a month from now, you're going to need that download, that spiritual download. And if you haven't spent time praying in the Holy Ghost, then you're going to get to a situation where you're going to panic and you're not going to know what to do. I hope you won't panic. I hope you'll take time with the Lord and rest in him and allow him to lead and guide you. He will. Let's look at John. Finally, my brother, and I'm closing. There you go. I tried it. John 14, 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus is speaking here, Farewell discourse, the night before he died. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's important here, if you remember Jesus said, it's important that I go away because if I do not go, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come. And if he does not come, then you cannot be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be born again. And so he said, so when he said greater works, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. He's actually saying, because the Holy Spirit will be here, and I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Praise God. 
Let's all stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that we've heard today. Father, I thank you, Lord, that for those that are here that do not have not taken the time or have not desired to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would fill them full with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that they would seek after, diligently, to have this experience with you, to come into the greater works that you have for each one. Lord, that they would not just let this be a doctrine of the church, as the devil would love it to be, but Lord, that they would understand it's a command. It's something we need to seek after daily. We need to have this in our life, that they would desire this greatly. Father, we thank you for impressing upon them that. And we thank you, Lord, for the word that we heard. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Let me say this. We have elders across the front here. I'm available. We have our senior ushers. <laughs> are very equipped in this. Here at Valley Community Church, one of the things that we are doing, every person that is in leadership, we, we ask that they go through at least two levels of OSL. Graciously, the leaders that are here are going through all five levels. They don't want to just do two, they want to go through all five. In OSL level two, we teach them how to administer the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So our leadership team in the office, they all know how to do this. So if you are desiring this, maybe you're saying not today, but maybe next week, pray about it. Go over the scriptures with the Lord. You have my notes. And talk to the Lord about this. I'm asking that you would come to the eldership. You would come to our senior ushers. You would come to people in leadership, our front office, myself, Pastor Ryan, Gary, Pastor Nolan, all of us. We would just love to be able to pray with you, lay hands upon you. I will say this, your, your life will never be the same. You'll come into a new dimension of your walk with Christ that you never thought could be possible. And, you're, and you just take on new meaning. And so I would greatly encourage you to do that. God bless you. Have a great week.